This is Double Truck Stories, the home for some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Justin Ellis. Baseball is a game governed by rules, but only some of them are written. It's frowned upon if the hitter and the pitcher spend too much time trading insults, for example. It's also frowned upon if a runner takes his time jogging the bases after sending a home run deep over the fence. The fact is, many of baseball's unwritten rules involve frowning, as if the game were, as Tim Kuhn writes, the sporting equivalent of an 18th century polar expedition. And then here comes Manny Machado. The Baltimore Orioles' third baseman seems to be cutting his own path in the game, one that balances the good times with the daily grind. In today's show, Tim Kuhn takes us back to where it started with Machado in Miami and explores how Latin players embrace the emotion that seems to have been drained from baseball. Coming up later, join me for the conversation with Tim where he explains why a love of baseball is necessary to make fun of baseball. Here's Going Against the Grind. Going Against the Grind. Talented, joyful, and Dominican proud, Manny Machado is the face of MLB's new identity. By Tim Keown. Baseball. Man, such a brutal game. Such a mean game. Sadistic, really, the way it runs itself up under your skin and makes you miserable. Hang around a baseball clubhouse and you'll start to wonder why anyone plays the damned thing. Sometimes it seems everybody in the game wakes up each morning trying to decide whether to be angry or bitter. Fittingly, the ball player's favorite word is grind, as if coursing through 162 games is the sporting equivalent of an 18th century polar expedition. Even good moments are dismissed as untrustworthy, because if ball players knew one thing about the grind, this joyless, painful six-month scrape of hard surface against hard surface, it is its infinite capacity to humble them. Maybe that's why they work so hard to create the illusion of frivolity. The visiting clubhouse in Detroit, to take one example, has a table with cartons of Double Bubble, three flavors, trays of Jolly Ranchers and Lifesavers and Big Red and Tootsie Pops and Blow Pops and three kinds of protein bars, twist-top dispensers of gummy bears, peanuts, caramels, and Reese's Pieces, buckets of sunflower seeds in three different-sized bags. This setup might just be a distraction, like the promise of a lollipop after shots at the pediatricians, but at least it makes the clubhouse look like a fun place. Occasionally, though, an anomaly walks through these doors. A man who plays this dirge of a game with happiness and sunshine. A man whose smile doesn't just appear, and appear frequently, but erupts. He patrols a vast area around third base, a kinetic wonderland bordered roughly by second base, left field, and home plate. Under his jersey, he wears a t-shirt with the words, put an accent on it, in Spanish. Manny Machado is many things, but Joyless is not among them. Hell, even his name, with its consonants arranged like an enunciation exercise, sounds fun. He is both star and symbol, a 24-year-old Dominican-American from Miami who straddles two cultures and resides in a third. The game is changing, or perhaps more accurately, being changed. Gradually and grudgingly, baseball's culture is dismissing the mores of its pastoral grandparents, 
The game's young stars, its Bryants and Lindors and Harpers and Arenados, and even its overly inhibited Trout, being a buoyancy to the game that is eroding the tisk-tisk repression that frowns upon public displays of happiness and inflates those who make playing the game look as difficult as possible. We think of it as out with the old and in with the new, Machado says, We just like to have fun and go out there and enjoy ourselves. Always a smile on our faces. Just playing the game that we love. Machado moves with a sprawling looseness that flirts with elegance. His endless limbs and their unusual liquidity have spawned tales, possibly apocryphal, about their composition. He has had identical surgeries on each knee, one in 2013 and another in 2014. And Orioles manager Buck Showalter says, They were so loose, they needed to be tacked up, so it was a good thing for us that he got both of them fixed when he was young. That would also mean Machado's looseness is physiological as well as stylistic. The way he plays? Not with a chip on his shoulder, that's not him, but with a swag that Miami boys got. Orioles center fielder Adam Jones says, You look at him, you know he's a Miami guy. Machado spends his downtime on the field canvassing the stands, as if each of those faces holds important information. He must lead the league in tossing baseballs to fans. He greets every runner who reaches third, and some who don't, by slapping his glove across the player's back. He talks to umpires and catchers and anyone who will listen in two languages. Machado and second baseman Jonathan Scope have been friends since they started in the minors together in 2010, and both independently point out the photo hanging in the training room, showing them celebrating their 2011 championship at Single A Frederick. They argue about everything. Chess, video games, fielding, hitting. Some days they classify themselves as friends, other days teammates. It's a running joke. A friend is someone you talk with about everything, including personal stuff, while a teammate is someone with whom you play baseball. It's unclear where these lines are and when they're drawn. Sometimes he doesn't like me telling him the truth. Scope says on a spring day that Machado would like everyone to know, for unspecified reasons, is a teammate day. That's why we fight a lot. Every day there's something to fight about. We'll fight today, and in two minutes, we'll be good. Earlier that day, sitting in the dugout four hours before the game, Machado was joined by catcher Wellington Castillo. El Nino, Machado says to the teammate he first met while playing for the Dominican team in this year's World Baseball Classic. This is my boy right here. He's the truth. Keeps me humble. Is that a hard job? I ask Castillo. A little bit, he says laughing. All of which is to say, Machado does not, by any rational definition, appear to grind. This is tricky territory. Mention this to one of his teammates, and said teammate will look at you with an expression emanating disgust. Oh, he will tell you with the tone of a great oracle, Machado does grind, and to suggest otherwise to suggest that he plays the game with an unworried joy that inoculates him from the game's dour rigors is to commit a brand of blasphemy that defies absolution. 
I try to ask Jones, another man who seems to have a monogamous relationship with Joy, to explain Machado's ability to make an excruciating game look fun. And the best I can do is to say, do you think he plays the game with an ease that can make people get jealous? Jones interrupts. Yeah, he plays with an ease that will make people jealous. When he's making plays, it looks carefree. When he makes an error, if someone sees that same carefree attitude, they'll think he's not caring. But just ten minutes before, they saw a play that nobody has made in a long time. Some guys just have to work harder for the simpler things, but not him. Machado grinds, make no mistake. He'll tell you he grinds because grinding is a given. You grind every game, every at-bat, every pitch. You grind or get ground, simple as that. Even if it's a fun grind, it's still a grind, and sometimes having fun carries a price. Buck Showalter sits at his desk in Camden Yards looking severely perplexed. He has managed Machado since the third baseman arrived in an Orioles uniform nearly five years ago as a 20-year-old whose future was expected to determine whatever the franchise would become. He is protective of Machado. Two years ago, he took the extraordinary step of visiting the general manager of the condominium complex where Machado lived with his wife, Yaney, after he heard that a neighbor had been harassing Yaney when Manny was out of town. This is important for the city of Baltimore, Showalter told him. The neighbor stood down. He is a patient man, Showalter, and he speaks of the world as someone who has seen just about everything and kept most of it to himself. But on the topic of Machado, he has no patience. He's the kind of kid you'd want to see walking through the front door with your daughter, Showalter says. He shakes his head slowly and winces. Some people have a problem with him, but I don't get it. Is it because he makes everything look easy? He's got a little flair to his game, and these guys don't want to hear someone saying, this isn't the way we did it back in the day. He brings something to the game and there are people who would like to put a thumb on him. You want everyone to be the same? How boring. A life is presented in pieces, and the first story Machado tells about his decidedly non-boring life sounds kind of boring. It's about a fence. By the time he was five, the game had already crawled up inside him. Every day after school in Hialeah, Florida, Manny spent hours throwing a tennis ball against a wall outside the house he shared with his mother, older sister, and his Dominican-born grandfather. He would rob fictitious home runs at the gate on the side of the garage. Around 4.30 every day, he would walk across the street to his aunt and uncle's house to wait for Giovanni Brito to pull into the driveway after work. Whenever Uncle Gio got home, almost always between 5 and 5.30, he couldn't get both feet out of his car before he was being handed his glove and greeted with the words, Here you go, boss. Let's go get it. By the time Manny turned nine, he and Uncle Gio would walk to a neighborhood field where Machado stood with his back to the outfield fence while his uncle hit him line drives and grounders. Bullets from ten feet away. Machado says, shaking his head. Every day, Manny returned to the driveway, bringing with him two gloves, more bruises, and quicker hands. That's how you get better, Machado says. Don't let the ball hit you. Catch it or get out of the way. And if you get out of the way, 
That's when you have to stop playing. So you've got to stay in there. He grew up in a Latin neighborhood with Latin friends, and his first team, in what he calls a low-budget travel ball, played together for several years while wearing T-shirts with a number on the back and chiefs on the front, probably 20 of them for $100, Manny says, and plain white baseball pants from Sports Authority. We thought we were big leaguers with our big league chew gum. The eye black, we had flair, Machado says. We liked to show emotion, and a lot of people didn't like that. We were mostly Latin, speaking to our parents in Spanish and our teammates in English. Our parents got into fights a bunch of times. Brawls. There were some good ones, some real good ones. Well, bad ones, actually. I remembered there were a lot of bats involved. A lot of blood. It was bad. He tells these stories to ground himself, and to remember, and it seems he tells this particular story so that he can say, We always got along with the kids from the other side. After the games, we'd play two-on-two baseball or basketball while the adults were getting after it. That's what I remember. By the time Machado got to high school in 2006, he was compared with another famous Dominican Miamian, Alex Rodriguez. Partly because of this reputation, Machado began working out at 17 with University of Miami players, including Yonder Alonso, whose sister Yaney would eventually become Machado's wife. The first time I met him, he was super skinny, lanky, and soft, says Alonso, now with the A's. I thought, he needs to eat and work out. In November, Alonso says, Machado couldn't jump high enough to slap the backboard on a layup. By February, he was dunking. In June, Baltimore chose him with the third pick of the 2010 draft. Machado would be the next great Orioles shortstop, except that, in 2012, the Orioles needed a third baseman, at least one better than Wilson Bedemeet, who had 15 errors in 102 games. In Machado's second full season in the minors, at AA, roving instructor Bobby Dickerson embarked on a special ops mission. His goal? To make Machado a third baseman without letting anyone, not even Machado, know it was happening. Dickerson found creative ways to get Machado to arrive at the park early. Can you play a man's position? Was one of his more successful lines. Secret intact, Dickerson drove home from Bowie, Maryland and called Showalter. He's better than anything you have up there right now, he said, and he's only been working there two weeks. If anything, the projection was understated. Machado recorded 1.6 war in 51 games that first year in 2012, double the 0.8 Betamete had earned in 102 games. He's finished in the top five in AL MVP voting the past two seasons, hitting 35 and 37 homers and finishing with a 7.1 and 6.7 war, all of which has inspired a different sort of projection, how big his contract will be when he becomes a free agent after the 2018 season. He will almost certainly approach or even top $400 million. He doesn't so much seek attention as demand it. His turbulent swing unfurls like a bedsheet, starting near his right ear and reaching its conclusion somewhere near the backstop.
By the time it finishes its swoop, you'd swear the 34-and-a-half-inch bat is six feet long. But the true Machado flair takes place in the field. The way he situates his body while determining the path of the ball and the arc of the hop is something that approaches art. Machado won the American League Platinum Glove Award in 2013, signifying the best defensive player in the league, and in Baltimore, where Brooks Robinson is one of the most beloved players of all time, it's no longer heresy to suggest the kid with his back to the fence has grown up to be the best defensive third baseman in baseball history. Whoever taught him to field a ground ball, kudos to him, Jones says. Come teach my kids. There's a risk to attributing personality traits and athletic qualities to cultural forces, but Machado's ease and lack of self-consciousness are things that he himself associates with growing up playing in the Latin culture. Deeply rooted as he is in Miami, he nevertheless defines himself as a Latin player and says he 100% identifies more with Latin teammates and opponents. I talk to everyone, but most of the people I hang out with are Latin, he says. We all mostly stick together. The fraternity is strong. On the first day of his road trip as an Oriole, a Rangers clubhouse attendant handed him a plate of Latin food. Nelson Cruz sent this over, he said. It happened the next day and the day after that. That bond and a desire to honor his family's heritage and the memory of his late grandfather led to his decision to play for the DR in the World Baseball Classic in March. He saw it as an opportunity to learn more about his culture and play in the expressive, celebratory, and non-judgmental way he remembered as a kid. We were out there celebrating like Little League, Machado says. People hate us sometimes because we just like to have fun no matter what. We lose, we're having fun. We're not going to change. The younger generation, that's how we play. If we're going to suck, we're going to suck, but we're going to go down how we do it. We're always the same, no matter what. Now is probably the appropriate time to drag the river of Machado's past indiscretions. He has run afoul of several provisions of baseball's nebulous code. Slow home run trots, bad body language, other real and perceived misdemeanors pertaining to vague and little-known citations. Baseball's capacity for umbrage, 150 years in, retains the ability to surprise. Any transgression, either of omission or commission, will forever conjure memories of a meltdown three years ago in a series against Oakland, when Machado took offense to an allegedly hard tag by Josh Donaldson and launched a red ass, in baseball's technical vernacular, routine that included hitting catcher Derek Norris with two backswings and, after nearly being hit by a pitch twice, throwing his bat toward third baseman Alberto Callaspo. There were some things early in his career that I'm sure he's not proud of, says Dickerson, now the Orioles' third base coach. Being close to him, I'm not proud of them. I know he's learned from them. The Donaldson thing was one, and how to address it and own up to your mistakes. During an April game this season, Showalter, head down, hands in his jacket pockets, walked to the mound to make a pitching change after a botched bunt coverage. 
When he got there, he looked up and said, What happened with that bunt coverage? Before Showalter could even finish, Machado said, I effed it up. I effed it up, but I got you. It won't happen again. The boil reduced to a simmer. Showalter had a moment of indecision. I stood there, he says, thinking, I guess I'm supposed to be mad. As Machado has matured, baseball too has shifted. Slowly, yes, but undoubtedly in favor of those like Machado, who would rather celebrate than grumble. Both changes came into sharp display on April 21st, when Machado slid high and late into Red Sox second baseman Dustin Pedroia, who had to leave the game and miss three more with a knee injury. Machado endured one of the lengthier and most unpredictable hunts for justice in recent memory. A two-week, two-city, mid-Atlantic display of vigilantism, so convoluted the combatants themselves might have forgotten its origins. After Chris Sale, in Game 5 of the ordeal, became the second Red Sox pitcher to barely miss Machado's knees with a 98 MPH fastball, the fifth ball of 90-plus MPH that Machado had dodged since the slide, Showalter called Machado into the runway that connects the Orioles' dugout to the clubhouse. I'm thinking of taking you out of the game, Showalter said. The umpires won't protect you. The other team isn't concerned about your safety. Convince me to keep you in the game, because if you can't, I'm taking you out. Make me believe you. I got it, Machado said. That's not good enough, Manny. If you get suspended, it hurts our club. If you give in, they win. No, really, Machado said. I got it. I'm cool. Machado paused, looked at Showalter, and said, But if it happens again... If it happens again, Showalter said, You're going to have to beat me out there because we're all coming. Three weeks later, none of Machado's teammates want to talk about the Red Sox, and neither does he. What's left to say? Besides, he's in a tough spot, being asked to explain something without knowing how the explanation will come across, or how the people who carry the code in its golden coffer will respond to his explanation. But the aftermath is important. Machado, who exposed one more aspect of the archaic and empty code, became a sympathetic figure. The Red Sox's response to Machado's alleged crime was so farcical it became indefensible. You get one shot, Machado says. One shot, that's what you get. You don't get to keep going and keep headhunting. I get the situation. I get that Pedroia is the best player on the team. And I get that you have to hit me. That's fine. Just hit me. Get it over with. Hit me in the right spot and I'm going to first base and will continue to play baseball. Fake drama, Showalter says. A pitcher comes inside with an off-speed pitch and the fans respond in a way that makes the hitter feel like he should be angry and one of his pitchers might decide to retaliate. He equates it to a patient being asked, Does this hurt? So many times by a doctor that he finally says, Well, I guess so. I got a question for all those guys, he says. How manly do you feel when you're standing on the mound and someone's lying in the batter's box with blood coming out of his ears? He scratches his grandfather's initials in front of third base, 
like an artist signing his work. F.N. for Francisco Nunez, who died in 2009 before he could see his grandson join a generation of ballplayers that just might change the game. What Nunez would have learned about his grandson is that his art is purely expressionist and that the brain is simply not fast enough to keep up. Watch enough baseball and certain projections seep into your consciousness, including one that says a ball that ricochets off a piece of hard maple at more than 100 miles per hour and skips once down the line before reaching third base is a double into the corner. And yet Machado fielded that exact ball off the bat of Toronto's Russell Martin in late May. He dove to his backhand side and spun his body, sliding as if on ice, to face right field and fire the ball to second base and start a double play. How do you describe it? Maybe this way. He's surfing the dirt. He's the world's foremost dirt surfer. It was precisely the kind of play that caused Showalter, at the beginning of spring training, to tell new pitching coach Roger McDowell you just let me know when you've seen something you've never seen before. Peeking his head down an imaginary bench in an imaginary dugout, Showalter reenacts McDowell's reaction after just a few weeks of watching Machado play. He shoots one finger in front of him. That's one, he says. Another finger. That's two. Another. That's three. You know the saying, don't try this at home? Show Walter asks. That's Manny. What he does on the field. Don't try that at home. But on a Wednesday night in mid-May, the game's sadistic forces are winning. The grievous consequences of playing the game are almost too much to bear. The expedition has reached crisis level. Food gone, nothing left to burn. The game ends with Machado rung up unjustly on a checked swing. The Orioles lose. The tying run stranded. Everyone is weak, clutching photos of loved ones. The loss comes amid a terrible stretch for the Orioles. Seven straight losses, 13 of 16. And an even worse one for Machado, who is staggering through a slump that will drag his average down to 205 at the end of May. It comes about two weeks after Dickerson sat down with Machado and told him... The definition of who you are is what it looks like when you're at your worst. The clubhouse is nearly empty. Machado is walking around his locker, the game still inside him, when pitcher Wade Miley bounces over, holding an iPad. You didn't go, he tells Machado. Check this out. Machado stops pacing. I don't want to make you mad, bro, Miley says. I'm already mad. Machado says. Machado is smiling, though. That eruption again. This is what Alonso, his brother-in-law, means when he says, Manny can let it go, man. The strikeout seems a lifetime ago, and Machado shares a laugh with Miley before the pitcher walks away, slightly confounded. It's a small moment, unnoticed amid the interminable misery of the eternal grind. He knows there will be bruises and doubters and those who feel the game should be policed by an ancient code that is both inviolable and permanent. But there will always be the smile and the confidence and the quiet moment to say a prayer 
and etch those initials in the hallowed ground. And there will always be another day to represent a culture. We're always the same, no matter what. That demands that joy be more than an illusion. That was Going Against the Grind, written by Tim Kuhn. Tim joins us now to talk about the story. Tim, thanks for being here. Hey, no problem, Justin. Thanks for having me. So this story really starts off not just with, with Manny, but you explore sort of the joylessness of baseball. Was, was that something that you wanted to delve in specifically with this piece? I think it was. I think there's a... Uh... You know, there's sort of an underlying theme in baseball these days where we're seeing a lot of really exceptional young players who are stepping forward to sort of take over the mantle of of the game. And I think that if you look at them as a whole, the one thing they have in common is that they all bring a certain joy to the game. They they have a they have a uh, uh, you know that, that against the grind can be taken two ways: the grind of baseball with its daily, you know, rigors, or the grind of just the way that the game just imposes its will on people, and it it sort of goes back to these old, you know, unwritten rules of baseball. And 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 guys like Manny and Bryce Harper and uh, Lindor and just go down the list. There are guys out there that are playing the game with a certain level of joy and a certain level of swagger really that is almost threatening that that prevailing notion of baseball as this sort of you know the game that polices itself and has this code that you must abide by and i think it's i think it's a fascinating time in baseball right now because i think a lot of those old rules and old ideas are start are starting to be really challenged by these guys i had written about bryce harper last year um in a similar way where he started his make baseball fun again campaign. And, uh, you know, I just thought that, that Manny's sort of a natural offshoot of, of that same, that same idea. Um, so yeah, I think the way he plays sort of lent a natural, uh, uh, angle to this about, about the way the game is changing and the way these guys are trying to change it. So in the writing of this, one thing that I, I was really curious about is how you found that line between poking fun at the sort of lack of fun in the sport, but also trying to approach it in a very serious way. You know, you, you have a lot of instances where you're sort of just sort of making fun of the fact that baseball tries to set up all these illusions of having uh, a kind of a joy, but the reality is it's this grind and you have, you know, the sporting equivalent of an 18th century polar expedition how did you find that line between sort of making fun of it but not going overboard in a way that might sort of dilute the point? Well, I think probably the the main reason I could sort of straddle that line is that I love baseball and I will defend baseball all day long because I think it's I think it's the best game. I you know, I played it, I've covered it, you know, I've been, you know, around it for a long time. So so I see both sides of it, you know, I see the the silliness of it. And, and actually when I played in high school and college, I, I was, uh, I partook of some of the silliness, you know, I mean, I played in games where we hit guys intentionally and stuff like that. And it's, it's, uh, I don't know, as you, as you get older and you look at it and you realize what, what it means and, and how it, how this justice is meted out, you sort of realize <laughs> just, 
just how 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 dumb it is, you know. I mean, right. there's so many cases of it that just seem just seem silly, and you know, and and some of it is perspective, and you know, part of it is that you're looking now at at what Machado went through with the Red Sox and what Harper went through when Hunter Strickland, you know, enacted his three year grudge with a <laughs> fastball to his hip. I mean, you, you you realize just how dependent the the game stars are on the whims of some guy who's you know, maybe not all that smart and has a, you know, has a, has a, <laughs> has a burr in his saddle and decides he's just going to go off and throw the ball at somebody. And I think baseball it has to be somewhat fearful of what the consequences of that are with these guys who are such valuable commodities. Um, so I think I was able to straddle it because, you know, I, I can sort of see both sides of it and I can also, uh, you know, I can, I can defend the game. I mean, I, I think the game is great and I, I wouldn't, you know, I would never just go off half cocked making fun of it because, uh, because I like it too much. And I think it's got, you know, I think it's got a real strong place in our society. And I think I can believe that and also believe that it can evolve. Absolutely. So how much time did you get to spend with Manny as a part of this? Well, I, I spent about an hour with him, uh, you know, early afternoon in the dugout before a, before a game. Uh, and then I ended up going back to the photo shoot and spent some time with him there. Um, that's sometimes a, a good way for us to get a little extra reporting done, ask some follow-up questions um, in, a, in a setting that's a little more relaxed and uh, you know, when they're changing sets and stuff like that, sometimes the guys are looking around for something to do. And, and I've found that that can be a, that can be sort of a fruitful way to, to get some extra reporting in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, altogether probably spent, uh, you know, two and a half hours, uh, maybe three hours with him. So how much of a sense did you get for, you know, this, this playfulness from talking to him, from talking to his teammates, uh, from talking to Buck Walter? Uh, you know, how, how did you sort of observe and, and, and get a, a sense for all of that? I think a lot of it was more um, from watching him play and talking to other people. Uh, Manny was somewhat guarded. Um, there was, you know, he wasn't, he has not had much of a year at, at the plate. He's been, uh, you know, uncharacteristically uh, poor. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of that was, was, you know, kind of had something to do with the, with the way that he approached the interview. Um, he was, he was more than accommodating. He was funny. He, I had a, I had a good time with him, but there was a level of guardedness there that I, I hope to chip away at. Um, that's another, it's actually sort of another overall theme in baseball is that its stars are somewhat less forthcoming than most. And I don't know whether it's, influence of agents or whether it's the fact that you know Manny is is looking at a at an enormous payday after next season right um and whether there's a a real fear of of saying the wrong thing or being controversial in the wrong way um but I think that you know in general we we kind of know less about our baseball stars than we do uh the stars in other sports so you spent some time in this piece looking at uh, his time in Miami and, and growing up there and sort of how he made it up through baseball. What do you think makes Miami a different type of place uh, for Latino players um, than, you know, 
Latino players coming from other backgrounds, whether it's the Dominican or, or other places? Because it seems like it's a very important part of who Manny is. It definitely is. And I think it's also an important part of, of where players like Alex Rodriguez, you know, what, what they, how they portray themselves and how they feel about themselves. And, and obviously a lot of the, the Cuban players, the majority of them, they end up landing in the Miami area and sort of, sort of become ingrained in that culture. That's their, that's their American home, you know, and that's the place home, meaning not only where they live, but it's where they feel comfortable and it's the community that they feel, uh, you know, accepts them the most. And I think that the, the baseball culture there is probably as close to a Latin culture that you can find in the United States. And that goes from, you know, youth, youth baseball through high school. Um, there's a, you know, as, as Adam Jones, Manny's teammate said that you can always tell the Miami boys from their swag. And right. I think that's kind of, I think there's a, uh, there's some truth there. I think the game is a little freer and looser down there. It's got that, you know, it's got that, that joy. It's got that feeling that the game is important and yet it's played to be to, to, for enjoyment and for fun. And I think that that I think Miami sort of embodies this sort of blending of cultures. And as we look at this year-long baseball experience project that we're looking at, I think Miami is a very, very interesting place because it's sort of it, it's sort of half and half. You know, it's got a blend of of cultures down there, and the game, the game's important, and the game is also you know it's it's fun and and it's it has a cultural significance that that it doesn't have in other even other baseball hotbeds like you know the the suburbs of Houston or or a place like that so one thing that this this story gets at and obviously the whole baseball experience project gets at is how latino players are changing baseball and i guess i'm wondering from your time with Manny and from doing reporting on this how do how do latino players feel about this idea of of taking on the mantle of of changing the game of you know th- this this way that they embody emotion that's different from what baseball did in the past you know is that something that they are conscious of is that something that or is that something that is maybe being sort of thrust upon them you know i think th- i think that it's it's something that they are whether they're conscious of it or not i think they're more comfortable with it because of sheer numbers you know the the percentage of of latin players in major league baseball is very high and growing and i think that with those numbers comes a level of comfort and an idea that you know hey there are there are more of me out there you know someone like manny machado can say there are more guys like me out there like carlos correa and francisco lindor and 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 Javi Baez and players who have uh, have no problem showing their emotions on the field and and uh, yeah there's still a there's still that that fear that they're going to have to pay for it but I you know with a with a fastball or however else but but I do think that the 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 growing culture the growing Latin culture in baseball has created a, a you know I don't want to say safer that's a that's a you know that word is loaded but it, it it's a it's a more comfortable experience and environment and it's become more as Manny said, Hey, we're, we're here and we're here to stay. You know, this, this, this style of play is, uh, is what we do. And you know, that, that we, we're not going to change. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of times in the past, the Latin players have, 
have been under pressure to change, you know, like what or to conform, you know, I mean, there's a Roberto Clemente's whole career was based on, on assumptions of how he should play and how he should look. And, right. and I, I think that now, uh, these guys, you know, the question was, will the game change them? And now I think it's sort of shifted. And the, the question is probably more about whether they will change the game. So just a couple of last questions. Uh, one of the things that I, I really enjoyed is you spent time uh, in a couple of instances describing Manny's swing and, and in other places describing the way that he is in the field, you know, the, the way he's able to save what looks like a sure thing, line drive to left into a double play. Uh, walk me through sort of how you try to describe things like that. You know, it's one thing to see them and just say, holy crap. But it's another to try to right. put those into to put those into words. What what was your process there? Well, I you know I, I sort of take it as a challenge in some ways to describe these guys because you're right that exclamation is really as far as we get most of the times. If you're if you're watching a game, you know you'll see an you'll hear an announcer just say you know oh my god what a play, but the the description of it is sort of left just to your eyes. And obviously, as a you know, as a writer, we're we're not we're not providing those visuals as much as <laughs> as a television uh, broadcast does. But you know, I, I you know, I've I've sort of taken it. You know, when I watch someone like Russell Westbrook or or Manny Machado, you know, there's a there's a certain I don't know. It just in some ways it inspires me. It's like art, you know, and you want to describe what it feels like to watch it. And I think that's where that's what I, I try to do when I'm, when I'm looking at that. And it doesn't always work. I mean, I think I tried to describe a swing, but three or four different ways before I figured out how to do it. But, you know, I, I, I think that, I think it's sort of the responsibility is, you know, for, uh, you know, for, for history's sake to be able to put it down in, in words, what, what it, what it feels like when, you know, Russell Westbrook steals an inbound pass and dunks it, you know, with, with, you know, the game on the line or the way that, that Manny Machado, the way it, that it looks and feels when Manny Machado goes behind third base, like he did the other day and, and, and makes this incredible throw that looks like he's, you know, just tossing the ball back to the pitcher. And next thing you know, it's on a line to first base to get a guy who's just flabbergasted that he's even, you know, even has to run hard, you know? And I just think that there are certain guys that, they do things somewhat differently and they're, they inspire. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the way he is. I think he's a generational talent in the field and it's kind of a challenge to, to try to find a way to, to, to sort of get across what, what it's like to actually watch it and, and in many ways feel it. So finally, obviously you, you can't write something about Manny this season without mentioning everything that happened with the Red Sox, as you already mentioned. And you've got the great scene there after, uh, you know, Chris Sale sends another pitch, a fastball his way. How did you figure out sort of what part of that ongoing drama between the Red Sox and the Orioles you wanted to include in this piece? Because it feels like that scene in particular between between Showalter and, and Manny uh, is very telling about his maturity and, and sort of where he's going. It, it is. And I think that was, you know, part of it was just distance from the event where it, it had been, it had been a few weeks and they had played again and there had been no repercussions. So 
Uh, I think it had receded somewhat from people's minds, but but it definitely needed to be a part of the story. And the and the the key was trying to make it part of the story in a way that that fit with who Manny is and 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 really where baseball is right now. And I think that scene with Showalter had a lot to to say about where we are as a as you know as fans and as as teammates and his manager is that there's been somewhat of a shift where that became so ridiculous that people you know it, it, it most people were on Manny's side I mean really probably everyone but Red Sox fans were on Manny's <laughs> side they, they saw they saw how how just you know exceedingly dumb this whole thing was to have a guy up there just dodging fastballs five different times and I think that that same thing happened with Harper and and uh, and Strickland, where it was like it was just so like immediate, like even Hunter Strickland's manager couldn't defend him. I mean, that's like <laughs> that's unbelievable. That that's like a first in baseball. Yeah. And and I and I think that just that scene where Showalter brings him back there, it's just this sort of what I liked about it was that it was there was a sort of this tacit understanding that what's going on is ridiculous. So they were sort of beyond that, right? They were like, that was the unspoken thing is that we, we all know this is, this is crazy. Now the issue is how are you going to handle it? And Joe Walter's first idea was, you know, I'll handle it. I'll take you out so that you don't have to do something that hurts the team and hurts yourself. Um, And I just think that the, the back and forth there and Manny sort of making his case that, that that he was he was good you know that he was good something in that you know show walter had to challenge him a couple times and then and then the, the you know the the sort of the end of it with him saying but if it happens again and show walter saying <laughs> if it happens again we're all out there you know like like let's let's get it's not going to be just you we're yeah. all going because yeah. this is this has gone on too long so uh, you know i thought it was kind of funny and i thought it was it was it sort of spoke to the absurdity of it and the seriousness of it well, Tim Kuhn, thank you so much for joining us on the show and for stopping by to talk about the story. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it, Justin. For this story and more, you can go to ESPN.com slash Double Truck. We'll be back soon with more stories. I'm Justin Ellis. Thanks for listening.